You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Fifteen years ago, around about then, when I first began really questioning my beliefs, I was at seminary uh, here in Fuller. My wife and I had just moved from Nashville. This is like 2006. <clears throat> and when I first began questioning my beliefs, I remember feeling like there is some theology out there that's right. Uh, there is a collection of beliefs that's the correct collection. And then I just need to study really hard and, and figure this out. And then I will have a sense of, of mastery and certainty and, and wholeness and completeness once again in my life. And like so many of you, I was going from conservatism into a kind of progressive Christianity. Um, I didn't really know what that looked like. Um, and my mic is cutting out. And uh, help me. <laughs> for those of you who are here every week, gosh, guys, just figure this. <laughs> yeah. Bless, bless you, Bob. Bless you. Check one, two. Hey, there we go. Who says miracles don't happen? Um, so like so many of you, when you begin leaving your conservative beliefs behind, maybe the church you grew up in, and you start venturing off into what's called progressive Christianity, <clears throat> the initial thought is, okay, well, there's a, still a correct belief system out there. We'll call it progressive theology. I just need to work through that and discover it, and then I will have certainty and a sense of mastery again, and I will feel whole and complete again, like I used to when I was, you know, a, a conservative. Um, and I remember just when I was, th this is when I was in seminary, I was going through this, I would stay up all night some nights or stay up very late just pouring over my notes and writing and trying to work out these great theological questions, like how could a loving God exist and an all-powerful loving God exist, and yet there'd be so much profound suffering in the world. This is called theodicy, this area of study in, in theological circles. And I worked really hard at trying to figure this out. Um, and this, this idea that ultimately we can find a kind of correct set of beliefs, what, once again, after we've left behind our conservative roots and we can find it in progressive Christianity or progressive theology, this idea of just trading one set of beliefs for another can be understood as a level one change, okay? And for example, you know, many former evangelicals <clears throat> will, um, will become progressive and no longer believe in hell, or they'll no longer believe in an anti a God who's anti-gay, or they'll no longer believe in a sexist God who, you know, says women can't be pastors, or they'll no longer believe in the inerrancy of scripture. They'll understand the Bible as contingent and historical and imperfect, and there's passages in there that are not of God. The, the, the thinking is now we found the correct theology, the correct belief, just a progressive form of, of Christianity. And therefore we've regained some sense of certainty and mastery that we had when we were conservative. <clears throat> and to be clear, progressive beliefs are better than conservative ones, right? They're less violent, they're less bigoted, they're more open-minded, right? Um, but the problem is that even progressive beliefs can operate the same way in our lives as conservative ones in that, that they can still provide us with a sense of certainty, a false sense of mastery, 
a sense of, of wholeness and completeness, like we have the right answers now, those people over there don't, right? Um, you, see, you see this in a lot of different contexts and not just in progressive or liberal Christianity. You see it even when people leave the faith entirely and, and become atheists. And many times when somebody leaves behind their, their religion entirely and becomes an atheist, they can, they can think, now I have the answers, right? Now I know the truth. Now I've obtained ultimate truth. I, I have unlocked the, you know, the truths about life and the universe. Uh, I'm right. I have the answers. Those people, those believers over there don't, and it's my job now to tell them that and, and to convert them to atheism, right? And many times, you know, atheists, people coming out of conservative religion who become atheists can sound just as combative, just as uh, arrogant and demeaning of other people as any religious fundamentalist. Anybody run into that before, right? And that's because they've only made a level one change. They've just exchanged one set of beliefs for another. They relate to their beliefs the exact same way they did when they were conservative, right? And becoming an atheist is a radical change, right? I mean, radical change from a conservative evangelical. And yet the beliefs themselves can function the same way in the individual's life. It's, it's, it's a way of coping. It's a way of coping with a sense of unknowing. It's a way of gaining a sense of certainty, a sense of mastery, a sense of superiority, a sense that I'm right, they're wrong. And it's, and it's a way of filling up our lack. This feeling that we all have that we're, you know, not whole, we're not complete. And we need, we need answers you know, to life's toughest questions, right? A level two change is different in that you don't necessarily change your beliefs, but you change the way that you relate to your beliefs. A level two change means realizing that there is no perfect set of beliefs out there. There is no perfect theology. There is no perfect religion. There is no ultimate truth. There, there, there is no ultimate truth that will unlock the secrets of the universe for us and make us whole and complete. A level two change means realizing that you don't need to look outside of yourself to find contentment and joy and peace. You don't have to look to a guru. You don't have to look to a pastor like me. You don't have to go to a, a particular church or join a particular religion or start doing yoga or meditation. You don't have to, you know, buy into self-help. You don't need those things. You are enough. Now, those things can provide helpful tools, right? I don't mean to say that religion and yoga or self-help teachings don't provide some really helpful and meaningful things, provide a community, provide some great structure, some great ideas. But, but this message that we're not fulfilled until we buy into someone's program, that's a problem. When pastors or priests or yoga instructors, instructors or gurus or self-help teachers or motivational speakers tell us that they have the answers, they have the correct belief system and methods to help us self-actualize and find fulfillment, they're only inviting us into a level one change. For this reason, you see a lot of people hopping and shopping today, right? Going from one church to another, one religion to another, or one guru to another, looking for ultimate truth, right? And it's not to say that, again, that self-help teachings and gurus and, and religions can't provide us with some really helpful and meaningful things, but they can become oppressive. They can absolutely, it doesn't matter what it is, it can become oppressive when they tell us that we're not enough on our own and that we have to buy their products or services or, or join their church or convert to their religion in order to be whole, in order to be complete. That actually keeps us from making a more life-giving and powerful change, this, this idea of a level two change. 
I want to share with you a meme that I found on the, on the internet this week. Uh, <laughs> Internet's full of wisdom, as you know. Uh, this is, I thought, a really powerful meme made by a guy named David Hayward. Anybody familiar with David Hayward? He's, yeah, a few of you. He's, he goes by the, the moniker, The Naked Pastor. Which I, he was a former pastor. I think that just means he's vulnerable and transparent. I don't think he's actually a, a nudist. Uh, but anyway, th- this is a brilliant meme, right? And I think you can kind of get sort of the meaning behind this. I, I take this to mean that being post-belief doesn't mean you don't have beliefs anymore. It's just that you relate to your beliefs differently now than you did before when you were a conservative. One has traded certainty for ambiguity. One has traded a sense of mastery and knowing for radical acceptance of unknowing and thereby opened themselves up to a world of different possibilities about God, the nature of the universe and themselves. In this way, being post-belief is not the end of faith. Being post-belief is not the end of faith. It is rather the beginning of it. A kind of diving in to an ocean or a river of wonder. It's liberating. It's life-giving. It's exciting. Uh, David Hayward, he's describing, I think, a level two change here. He, he actually describes this image. The artist actually kind of helps us by describing what he meant by this. He says, I live on the Kennebecasis River. It's deep, wide, and beautiful. It changes every day. It's constantly moving with constant impact on its surroundings. Every day, a different river. It's never embarrassed with its changes. I love that because it's all, it always possesses its riverness. One of the things I've noticed in my crazy, unpredictable, changing spiritual journey is that I constantly confuse people. They complain that they can't categorize me. They, they get frustrated that no two days I am the same. Some days I'm like a calm believer, and some days I'm like a stormy atheist. They can't nail me down, but I don't let that bother me. I don't stress about it. I don't care. Because like the river, I'm constantly transforming. Every day, something different to behold. Sometimes as gentle as can be, other days as rough as can be. But I don't care. Because I never lose my riverness. Beneath all of your changing beliefs is the depth of a fluid you. Don't be embarrassed by your different manifestations that reflect your changing thoughts, that express your transforming mind, that display your deep and fluid self. Be the river that you are. You are terribly beautiful every day. He's describing a level two change here. And I think we find this in our scriptures, specifically in the writings of Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says this, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul is describing here the process of maturing spiritually and going from, as he did, one understanding of God and religion to another. Remember, Paul was this Pharisee, this very prominent and powerful Jewish man, right? And for him, changing his beliefs from being a Pharisee and someone who believed in a God of religious law, this pedantic deity on high, right? He went from believing and being a cleric of that God. And not just, you know, this was a harsh, capricious God who demanded and commanded him to go down and hunt 
and kill and imprison other Christians. Imagine going from that life, that religion, and that understanding of God to where he ended up. To make that change for Paul, I'm convinced, was a level two change. It wasn't just a change in, change in beliefs. It wasn't just a change in beliefs. It was a change in the way that he related to his beliefs. And now faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love, he says. He's saying love is greater than faith. Do you hear that? Love is greater than faith. Love is greater than beliefs. Love is greater than religion. Love is greater than theology. Nothing, nothing is greater than love. Nothing beats it. And when I speak of love, and when I think Paul is speaking of love, we're talking about love in a, in a very nuanced and dynamic way. We're not just talking about warm feelings for others and being nice. Rather, we're talking about love as whatever is good, whatever is life-giving, whatever brings joy to you and to others, whatever is ennobling and beautiful. This is love. Love is whatever practices or ideas you hold that, bring, that, that, that enhance human well-being, enhance human flourishing in, in your life and in the lives of others. This is what it means to be connected to love. This is what it means to be connected to the energy or the essence of love, the, the, the event, the event of love. It's dynamic. It's robust. It's beyond just this idea of, you know, be nice. No, it's about connecting to the depth dimension of life, that which brings life to the world in all of its different capacities and facilities. When Paul says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, we shall see face to face. I don't take this to mean that one day, sometime in the afterlife, we'll understand God completely or we'll unlock the mysteries of the universe and understand everything. No, I think, I think he's talking about what he says next. That the one who realizes that love matters most, this person sees clearly. This person sees face to face. This person has achieved enlightenment. The one that understands that love is the key to everything. It's not, therefore, it's not a particular religion or a particular set of beliefs that is what is most important, but whether or not what we believe and practice connects us to love. That which connects us to the depth dimension of life, that which inspires us and excites us and brings us joy and a sense of serenity and, and light in our life and, and in others' lives, that which sets us free, that which sets others free from all kinds of oppression, be it political or religious or social or economic. It is comprehensive when we speak of this love. The love of God is comprehensive like that. And it shows up in a variety of different ways. There isn't just one way it shows up. It's everywhere at once. It's a Holy Spirit, you could say. It's everywhere at once. Fills the world, this love. Fills us this Holy Ghost of love. And that means we can tap into it anytime we want because we are already enough. We are already enough. This is a level two realization. It's not about this spirituality, this religion, this church, that yoga studio, that self-help teacher, that motivational teacher. No, you are already enough. You have it already within you. But you know, this is a message for the mature, Paul would say. This is a message for the mature, so to speak, for those who live by the Spirit and not by the flesh, to use Paul's terminology. For those who live by the flesh, for the spiritually immature, this all sounds heretical. 
and dangerous because they still believe that there is a particular set of theological truths out there that you got to find and you got to believe and you got to adhere to. There is, a, there is a correct church to go to, right? There's a correct religion to be a part of. And if you're not, then you're not whole and complete. There, there is a kind of ultimate truth, we're told still, by many people, right? And this idea that I'm teaching this morning sounds dangerous and heretical to them, to those who live by the flesh, to the spiritual immature. And many of our closest of friends and family members who are evangelicals and, and fundamentalists think this way and desperately, desperately want us to return to the way we used to be, right? Because they believe they have ultimate truth. But they don't understand that by asking us to return to the way we used to be, to, to become fundamentalists again, this is like asking an adult to become an infant again. This is like asking an adult to stop behaving like an adult and start behaving like a five-year-old again. That's what it sounds like, at least to me. Now, I'm all for embracing this idea of a childlike faith. For me, that means we should embrace you know, awe and wonder and a, and a profound sense of curiosity like a kid, right? This should be how we, how we should imagine faith too, right? So I'm not trying to denigrate, when I say childish faith, I don't mean it like that. I'm using Paul's terminology. I mean this kind of binary, simplistic, fundamentalist way of thinking about the world and about God and about ourselves, right? So many of our family and, and friends who are evangelicals, are trying to call us back to infancy, demand that we become children again in our thinking. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put away childish things. When I realized that love was the essence of all truth, I put away fundamentalism. When I realized that love mattered most, I put away childish religious ideas. The point is, don't let anyone shame you for growing up and maturing. Don't let anyone shame you for changing into what you know as a healthier, freer, and more loving person. Don't let anyone shame you for making a level two change because you are enough. You are enough. You are a vessel of the Holy Spirit. You are a vessel of love. You are a universe all into yourself. You have everything you need already. Let's pray. Loving God of our many understandings, we pray for clarity, we pray for courage. May we be people who are committed to love and all of its facets and all of its wonder and all of all the ways that it manifests itself in our lives may we be people committed to the path of love in life give us a vision for what that looks like fill us with the courage of christ in his name we pray amen each episode of the central cast is followed by an interactive discussion if you'd like to participate in recordings, or if you're interested in exploring progressive faith and theology for a postmodern context, check out centralavenuechurch.org. Here's this week's unedited discussion.
in a church. Um, Back up for a second. Lifelong atheist, but in church. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Welcome, by the way. You've been, you've been coming for a while. <laughs> I've been coming for a while. It's, a, it's, it's like trying to turn an old whaling ship around. You, know, you not only need the, the right wind and stuff, you, you just change a slight angle at a time until you make the 180. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Um, so part of, I guess my question is, is I really like the sermon because it, it addresses a lot of the things that I'm dealing with. To what extent, uh, what do you use for signposts in making that change? Oh, yeah. Going from a level one to a level two, how much do you look at the Bible, which of course a fundamentalist would want you to do, Right. Uh, but I don't know is that necessarily wrong just because they tell you to do it. Um, it might be a good idea anyway. Or what, the real question is what do you use as signposts? How do you, how do you navigate that turn that's a really good question. Um, I think ultimately the specifics of the signpost look different for each person. You know what the signpost says, so to speak, right? Stay with the metaphor. Um, but I, th I think universally, I think there is kind of a universal meaning behind the signpost. Signposts. I think for so many of us, it's been empathy. It's been relationships. Um, for for me, I think the things that really transitioned me the most out of kind of that that kind of level one or conservative way of thinking about God and religion was I think a couple of things but relationships were key you know having dialogue with people that thought differently seeing their lives connecting in relationship with them that was huge um, I, I, I didn't do it all on my own in my study right just pouring over the scriptures and reading these books and like no it was relationships um, but it, it was also I think for me it was um, I, I think just coming to terms with the contingent nature of the scriptures and how human they are um, and how they didn't just fall out of heaven one day, <laughs> that they're a work of human hands, and that is both a sacred and divine thing, but also a human thing. And just, I'm just, I guess I just learned to reconcile that in, in my own head through my own time in seminary, but relationships, yeah. I, that's the best way, quickest way I can put it. Obviously, it's a lot more dynamic than that. Does somebody want to respond also? Yeah, um, Malin? You say one thing about that real quick. Yeah, please. I was reading Richard Rohr last night, and he was talking about that passage you put up from First Corinthians. And, uh oh, did you agree with me? Uh, well, he was just one thing. I'm one just, point just that he mentioned that, kind of to what you just said, is uh, right. So we're talking about see through a mirror darkly, and one of the yeah, or yeah. through a glass dimly either way. Um, and one of the things that he said in the book was, um, and yet glass and mirrors through which we see are made of human hands. Yeah. And that in that passage is a reminder that spiritual language by itself in necessity is metaphor and is made with human hands. That's and good. So. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Uh, yeah, Malin's over there. Um, just really quickly, I think one of the biggest things when I started coming to Central, and I think making a little bit of that shift was something that you said was just because somebody believes something different than you doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means it's something that they believe. And that hit me really hard. And so coming from my conservative background. So for me, I think that was a big, a big shift. Yeah, like you don't have to be threatened by somebody with another belief that's different than your own. Because our initial reaction is to be threatened by that. Because it, it makes us, especially when that belief is held on to as like a, a sacred object, 
that is like a coping mechanism that gives us that sense of certainty and, and knowing and, you know, the sense of, uh, you know, God's presence in our life. When that, when anybody simply questions that with, even with their own belief, it can feel terrifying. And just getting over that, right, May, and, and learning to embrace, I guess, that discomfort is life-giving, is liberating. Yeah, that's really good. That's a signpost. Yeah, and then over here, Emily, and then Jen. And then Irene, did you also have your hand up? Okay. We'll go Emily, Jen, Irene. Um, hi. I just uh, had a thought about the, the question kind of about the signposts. Um, and I guess um, to me it just strikes me that the kind of radical change in thinking about faith is actually kind of the giving up of signposts. That there isn't sort of like this realm that we go into, like how to, almost the giving up of definitions entirely, um, which is definitely uncomfortable, but I feel like even in this space where maybe a lot of us now identify um, as sort of like progressive Christians or something, I still think it's tempting, or, or not, I mean, I think we're, we all come from different places, but um, it's still tempting to sort of like try to categorize ourselves, and I feel like we can still get into a binary way of thinking of like, assuming that in this passage of scripture that we are the adults and not the children. Um, and I do think that there are places where, um, where you know, our, our friends and, and family and people who are maybe still in the fundamentalist spectrum, I think there are places where they can reveal things to us. So I, think I, I guess I'm a little uncomfortable with the idea of categorizing those people and sort of saying, well, now we're done with that. Um, because I think we can easily be doing the same thing in a different way. Um, so I just wanted to throw out there the idea that we kind of get rid of these signposts. That's awesome. Thank you for that point of disagreement. And yeah, Paul's metaphor is, is lacking, and I definitely played on that. But you're absolutely right. Thank you. That was great. Jen? Um, to go back to signposts that I might use, <laughs> I think it's the fruits of the Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if my belief is creating something that is opposite to that, then, I, then maybe that's something that I should re-examine. Or if someone else's belief is creating goodness and kindness and joy, but I don't agree with it, maybe there's something to re-examine there also, so. That's brilliant, thank you, yeah, Irene. Hi, I'm Irene. Um, I think signposts for me would be just relationships and how I think different experiences shift me where I need to be versus outwardly always looking for them and just kind of tagging back to like beliefs and it, it's hard to grasp like I get people come from fundamentalist backgrounds and it's like okay you shouldn't judge people that come from these different things but sometimes beliefs can be harmful to other people and beliefs certain beliefs do physically hurt people and do physically cause a lot of harm so I, I have a hard time existing in the spectrum where it's like everything should be respected and everything should be okay it's like I, I get coming from a conservative background and they're, they're also people too, but it's like, 
how is that, I don't know, I, I feel like that's the level two where you have to discern that these beliefs can be hurtful, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I, I mean, Jen was talking about uh, the fruits of the spirit, you know, by their fruit, you will know them, right? Where do these ideas, where do these uh, beliefs lead to? Do they produce good fruit or bad fruit? That is, that is a great point. Yeah, that's absolutely something to consider. Yeah, Andrew. I was actually originally going to comment on uh, your signpost metaphor, but I actually kind of wanted to jump off of what Irene was saying a little bit, which this is incredibly anecdotal, but I just know that for my own for my own money in this, the, the things that have changed me have been sort of a process of relationships and seeing firsthand how belief systems harm people. Yeah. Uh, like I wouldn't have changed to be like LGBT affirming unless I didn't have a friendship with a gay person who was in the faith, who was wrestling with that idea. And then seeing him read like Torn by Justin Lee and then like we talked about metaphors, like it just our friendship naturally, I, it was like, it had to do with a video game. Like that's how it started was I was talking about how dumb this game I played when I was a kid, Spiritual Warfare was like this Nintendo game. That was, that was an actual game? Oh my God, you got, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, that sounds amazing. No, it's, it's amazing. We'll have to talk about it more. Uh, but like, uh, but J Justin Lee mentions it in his book that is part of his geeky thing that, and he's like, yeah, that was in the book that I, that I was reading about how like you throw fruits of the spirit of people and they convert and like, and, and, or like sometimes a demon comes out and you throw fruit at the demon and then you get like extra faith points. And was, so, was this game produced by focus on the family? It might've been, you know, I, I, I don't know. But anyways, uh, but that's how it started. So I was like, I want to read this book. And so like, it was for the, like almost another reason. But then as I read the book, I'm like, I hold these beliefs and I don't, I don't like them. Uh, and there's something that doesn't sit right about these beliefs. And so I think that evolution, it's, it's sort of always a dance where you're like, okay, like the beliefs I hold are disturbing me. And I, I feel like they are causing harm to a friend of mine and other people like them. And it's sort of like, it's a weird dance to kind of figure out where you sit in that process. And I think that the beauty of humanity is like everybody's at a different point in their lives where maybe they can have a friendship that will change them and that's where the hope i think lies for me is that there's that dance between like <laughs> where do i not want to alienate people and where do i think i can cause change yeah. so that's a question i struggle with that's good thanks andrew yeah and i just I, I think i just want to be clear also that you know this isn't i'm i'm not trying to be um, critical really of even like um, more conservative beliefs about you know the afterlife or the resurrection or the, the miracle stories in the Bible. I think we should be absolutely entirely affirming and inclusive of, of those beliefs, right? Uh, I'm, I'm concerned about where do, the, where do the beliefs lead? Like Irene was talking about, what are the fruit of some of these other beliefs when we believe that you know God said that gay people are to be stoned or something, you know? These are the kinds of beliefs that I think we need to be hypercritical about. And, but we can be radically inclusive of beliefs from a variety of different traditions, even within the church. You know, so-called conservative theology can still be, be affirmed, right? 
Um, and, and I think that's what's key here, that it's, it's not about you know, finding these progressive theologies, you know, demythologizing the Bible and holding that up as like the new standard everybody has to adhere to. No, but it is about thinking critically about what kind of a person do our beliefs create in the world? What kind of relationships am I bringing healing and life and, and peace into other people's lives with these beliefs or, or am I hurting others? Yeah, I think that's, that's the signpost. It's empathy. The signpost says empathy. Or the signpost says, for me, as uh, I think Pete Rollins puts it, you know, how you believe what you believe matters far more than what you believe. How you believe what you believe matters far more than what you believe. Because how you believe what you believe is really what you believe. Um, it's, it's difficult, but I think that's, that's, I think, the right way to think about it. But some, somebody else, we have a few more minutes left. Yes, David. I was just... Um thinking about sort of the relationship that I have with uh, my cousin uh, when you brought it up uh, I saw him for the first time and not a first time but in a long time it's been a long time but we're really close we're like brothers uh, we grew up sort of in sort of the same home and uh, we were all raised under the same sort of fundamentalist idea of Christianity and um, he moved away and then he pretty much he's pretty much like an atheist now and that's cool. And um, the I was thinking about it last night. I was like, there's this sense of love that I have for him that transcends anything that he believes just because of how close we are. And uh, it, unfortunately, the rest of my family doesn't see it that way. It's like, oh, he thinks that way. You know, I don't want to associate. I don't want to bring that conversation up. But uh, we spent like from seven o'clock last night to two in the morning just talking about theology and like what we believe and how we believe. And he really wants to come to Central Avenue because he thinks it's really cool. And it's, it's just one of those things that I was thinking about on the way home this morning and saying like, why, why, why can't the rest of my family sort of still have that same love you know what 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 is it and um it, it's the the thing that you mentioned about love and relationships and and the greatest thing of those faith hope and love it it, it seems to sort of just trump everything yeah. and i i just relate to it thanks david thanks for that reflection all right anybody else yes miguel So I have a question. Um, I assume that you still have relationships with people who are very conservative, yes. fundamentalists. So I grew up in a very, very conservative household. Majority of my family are Jehovah's Witnesses. So it's kind of hard. Can you hold the mic a little higher so people can hear you? Um, it's kind of hard to have a relationship with them because it's like you said they're telling you, oh, come back home. Jehovah's waiting for you. Come back home. So it's not that they avoid me or don't talk to me, but for me, it's hard to navigate having a relationship with my father or my grandmother because it's, it's always the subject of come back home. So how do you navigate having relationships with people who are conservative? Well, that's an extremely difficult question because every relationship is different, right? And your relationship with your father is not like the relationship I have with my father which is to say I don't have one um, for other reasons. Um, you know, it depends on the individual you're talking to. 
what I like to tell people when that question comes up, because it does come up a lot, is if in fact there is um, something healthy about that relationship and worth salvaging, then I would say try to focus on some things that you both can mutually agree on and talking about that and, and you know, Again, it's complicated because I don't know this relationship, right? But if there is some, if you want to maintain that relationship and it's a healthy relationship and there are things you mutually share opinions on, right? Focus on that maybe. Um, maybe, you know, talk about what your faith still means to you with your, with your dad. Help him see like your heart for your faith and that can go a long ways. I've, I, I've learned, but if, you know, he's going to be really just combative and, and, um, I think violate boundaries by making you feel less of his son or less of a person unless you believe in Jehovah and come back to Jehovah's Witnesses. I, I, I would say that that's a real problem you need to look at and maybe create boundaries there and, and talk to him about that. Talk to him, maybe be clear about, you know, you're hurting me and I'm not just going to sit idly by and let you just continue to do this. You know, it's as if you're hitting me. I'm not gonna, just going to sit here and take that and you know, um, I don't know your dad, and maybe he's empathetic enough to realize that and hear that and change. Um, but be honest, be courageous, look for shared narratives, shared, you know, values maybe, and talk about that. I don't know, hopefully that's helpful, Miguel. Yeah, but look out for yourself, okay? Take care. Don't just take the abuse, I guess is what I'm saying, yeah. Um, good stuff. Well, thanks for coming to church this morning. <laughs> it's always interesting, right? Um, yeah, go in peace.